0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm your host. With me this week, as is usually the case, is my wonderful co-host, Joe Perez. Joe, how are you doing? I am doing well, as you said, wonderful. Thank you. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, but we have to actually do our show now. So let's move forward to, first off, me finding the email that I sent out for this show. It's <laughs> always, always fun when you can't find that. Uh, and I, now I honestly can't find it. So that's that's something I have to worry about. Uh but yeah, um, usually what we do here is we do a little chat about what we've been up to. So I'm going to throw that out to Joe. What have you been doing? Uh,
1: so in game, I've been just catching up on my renown, doing a bunch of my questing. Uh, just got through the latest uh, chapter of my covenant campaign, uh, doing a little bit of leveling as far as my alt goes. Well, I shouldn't say leveling. I should say covenant leveling, uh, trying to get some of that sweet, sweet bastion armor because uh, it looks absolutely great on a blood elf. Um but yeah that's basically what I've been doing. Oh, and lamenting the fact that I can't get a weapon drop to save my life. So more well, of the same.
0: You, then that actually moves into a top story we've got that I didn't write, manage didn't remember, but the latest version of the Covenant uh storyline, the the most recent version for this week, you can get a 187 weapon at the end of it.
1: Uh yeah, I have a 187 weapon, but it's got terrible stats. The problem is I keep getting I keep getting stuff um that's Good item level wise, or okay-ish item level wise, but terrible stats. Because well, like, maybe I, the
0: weapon from this will be better. I'm I'll try.
1: Sort of- yeah,
0: it it gives me a glimmer of hope. What about you? What but are you yeah. been doing? Um, mostly uh, I've been playing. When I play WoW, it's mostly doing callings or trading with my guild or doing tour or what have you. I made my first legendary finally. Um, I was way behind on that, but I made my legendary belt. It isn't super great. Uh, it's like you get haste when you hit bloodthirst, and it stacks up to five percent. Which is nice, but it's not—you know—it's not like one of those those legendary powers that makes you go, "Ooh, that's so cool." It's just like, yeah, okay, some haste. Um, It's—I'm certainly looking forward to upgrading it and hoping it will—it will have good synergy with Fury once uh, they've—they've buffed Fury. I know that they were supposed to roll out some buffs to Fury today, so we'll see what happens. Um, Trying to think. Uh, Other than that, I've been playing a literal ton of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, Did a little bit of. Uh, immortals phoenix rising which i think is a very good game but i haven't really gotten into playing it yet just because i don't really have the time yeah it's not a super long game i think that someone said you can get through the main story in like 20 hours
1: that is but that's still actually 20 hours considering a single-player game is pretty good when you figure most big like single-player games that aren't assassin's creed odyssey or valhalla um or cyberpunk you can breeze through in about eight
0: hours well, that's the thing. is for me, I, I've been like I've been having this realization that a lot of people judge games, and if, if a game goes too long, they don't. If a game goes beyond a certain length, they don't like it. They want the game to yeah. be short. I am the opposite. I, yeah, I'm with I you. I want the games to be super long. I, I am totally down for like an eighty, ninety hour because a that means it isn't done anytime soon. Like so, I can just go in, play for a few hours, and like you know, always be looking forward to more of it. But also. I'm just one of those people that like really enjoys not doing stuff in in really long games. Like instead of like with Valhalla, I just started a new playthrough so my wife could get to see it because I finally like uh someone gave me the code to to get it on the Xbox uh one, which mm-hmm. I st- I don't have the new I don't have the new Xbox like, but I have still have my old Xbox, so I got it on that. And you know, there's some downsides to playing it there, like but but one of the upsides is that you can play this game cross platform. Yeah. And not enough people have been talking about this. You can do that with Phoenix uh, too. Yeah, yeah, because that's Ubisoft has put that yeah. in their Ubisoft Connect thing now. It doesn't matter what platform you have the game on. You can transfer you can, your save with. Yeah, you. You, you don't even have to transfer it. Just when you save yeah, the you game. Yeah, you
1: just log in, right? Like, yeah, yeah.
0: Like the way it worked on uh, works on Valhalla, which is the one I've done it on because I don't own Phoenix on multiple platforms. Um, when you go when you're playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, whenever you save the game, it makes what is called the cloud save. Mm-hmm. And there's two of them that it will make. It will make the auto cloud autosave, which is your last autosave, whatever it is, goes onto the cloud. And whenever you stop to save the game, it puts that save on the cloud. I think this is brilliant. This is because it means I can just jump back and forth. Like I can play on the console and let my wife see me play the game, and then I can come upstairs and play it here. So I've been playing a lot of that. But I've also been doing a ton of like you know just other stuff. So
1: yeah, it's one of those things that like I wish more games did because it is super convenient, especially like. I play, so I, I transfer between, like, my consoles and my PC a lot, Um, even though I'm in the same room. Like, you know, if my, my significant other wants to play something on the TV or watch something, I can, you know, let her do that and then play and pick up right where I left off on my PC, and it doesn't bother anything. Like, I don't lose anything. I'm not, like, out of anything, uh, and vice versa. I think it's really, really neat. It's a cool feature, and, like... I generally don't give Ubisoft a lot of credit, but I give them credit for this. Um, like, and, and as uh, Shaki is putting putting up there, that would be a nice feature for something like Diablo. Like, if Diablo, absolutely, f- if Diablo Four comes out and they do something similar where Blizzard. Uh, goes, hey, you know what? We can implement a cloud save for character profiles in Diablo. Why not? It's just a Battle.net law. We essentially save all of that data on our cloud anyway. We just make it more available. Then I can go and play Diablo Four on my, you know, nice TV. And then when I'm done, I can go play it on my PC or I can play it on my Switch or or whatever the case is. That would be a really nice feature, uh, Blizzard. If you're you know listening and you want somebody to work on that, hi, I got you. Let me know. Uh, but- so yeah. Yeah, it would be be great.
0: No, I I totally think it is something that companies should be doing as they move forward. I think it's definitely like the kind of thing you see Microsoft themselves trying to encourage with their cross-platform stuff. I think cross-platform is something that people are trying to make work, and I think we're pretty close to it working. I think it's something that in the future I think we'll hear a lot more about it. But we should probably do some actual Blizzard stuff before we, uh, you know, because that's what this podcast is and all that. Uh, just there's, there's a few stories. One of them, uh unfortunately, when I made the email, then other stuff came out. So <laughs> that's the way it is. So um, the email is no longer all that useful. But I'll I'll bring up. Torghast has seen a bunch of stuff happening. The first was the Twisting Corridors came out last week. Um, and I haven't actually been in there yet. Oh, yeah, I, I sure have. Yeah, I've heard like a lot of things about its being like 18 floors. Uh, It takes forever to finish the quest that sends you in there. You're better off just running the first three layers like three times.
1: Yeah, so here, here, my quick opinion on Twisting Corners. It's a cool thing. I think it's a really neat feature. It's something that I think is really, really nice. But there are some problems with it that I think need to be addressed. One, there's no sign it. So when you go to do your quest, like if you're catching up and you're doing stuff uh, like this, the last week was... Uh, you know, go fi- look for signs of, of Anduin, right? Um, And you have to find three individual items from the boss at the end of each floor. Well, it doesn't tell you that it's three items. It doesn't tell you that it's going to be 18 floors. It just says, go and do the thing. And if you've done any of the previous ones, you're like, oh, six floors and I'm out. That's fine. Okay. Now, like, there needs to be some signage that indicates clearly in-game that this is 18 floors for that quest. Um, the other problem I have with it is that there is a steep, steep incline in damage and procedure as far as uh when you get to floor 12. So I'm used to soloing this stuff. I think Twisting Corridors, especially for that, at least for that quest, needs to be tagged as potential group play. Because I got through the first 11 floors, no problem. Did everything fine. I got to the boss on the 12th floor, did all the mechanics, did the interrupts, didn't stand in the bad. I got hit once by the boss, died immediately. And I'm sitting there looking at it. It's like, I can't keep up with the amount of things that need to be interrupted. I don't have enough to do this. Even with all of my weird broken powers, my endless bloodlust, I'm not a bad player. Like, but it made me feel like a bad player because here's this thing that wasn't marked as a group content that clearly needed a group. And when I went back in with a group breezed through the whole thing, like it, it, it needs some signage or tuning, I think. And that's, that's my only gripe about it, but it was a big enough gripe that I, I was pretty vocal about it. I think it could be so good except for that. It needs some better optics.
0: And now this week, uh, Torghast has another thing coming out. There's a new event called a bonus event. This week's is the Beasts of Paradigm. I don't know how you're supposed to say this word. It's not a real word. <laughs> um, but the Beasts of Paradigm is basically you when you're doing it, They've it's kind of like a Diablo 3 season thing. Yeah. In that there's when you go in and you get your first animal power, you can choose between getting a normal animal power that affects you or between one of three possible beasts that will accompany you. One is basically one of those big, rob- like metal sh- shadow hounds, like the ones you can like temporarily mount and ride around on, in mm-hmm. uh, the Maw, You can you can get like one of those as your pet. Another is like that horrible Argus mount that was a bunch of feeble spaces jammed together. You can get that to follow you around too, which I think has really got some interesting lore implications. Uh, and the third one is just a tiny floating head that that. And each it does a certain thing the 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 big robot monster shadow dog is like a tank pet that will follow you around and will like tank it will hold threat or at least try to and does tanky stuff the the multi headed monster horrible thing is more of a it's a buff it buffs you it like has various buffs that it growls and yeah and howls that buff you and increase your damage and the last one is sort of like a combination of like a o e stuns and silences. So it's kind of like a floating DPS slash interrupt which is pretty nice if if you especially if you've got the tanking stuff handled like if you're like a uh a, a, a guardian druid or or vengeance dk or, or vengeance demon hunter or blood dk or, or prot warrior or prot paladin you you'd obviously mm-hmm. or you know brewmaster monk I, I know I'm leaving I don't want to leave anybody out if you're that kind of class if you're a tank you'd probably want that that one of the other two. you don't need a tank pet if you're a tank uh, but if you're a healer, a tank pet's really nice. You know, it will hold aggro, it'll let you do stuff. Yeah, that's not bad. But on the other hand, a, an AOE silence, an AOE like sleep, you know stun, almost always useful. Yeah. yeah. Of, so, so, and when you do that, when you pick one of the three pets, you then will get anima powers that, that you can apply to them instead of to you. Like, you instead of you, every time you get an animal power, you'll basically be like, okay, I can pick this one that buffs my damage, or I can make my tanking pet stronger. And so it, it adds a lot of variety to the standard Torgast playstyle. Where it's usually Torgast is just okay. Which one of these powers is the least annoying? The, the, there's one power in Torgast in particular. And I can't remember its name, but it's the one where you can't back up anymore. You have to always move forward or turn. You can't just back up. You can't step backwards. I hate this power. It got me killed three times. I am used to just stepping backwards out of things. It's it's a quick, easy motion. Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not used to running through things and then running around to get back into position. Uh did not like that power. Uh so you know, if that power drops, usually if a power drops and you don't like it, you'll just take a different one. Now you'll actually think about, okay, uh this this power is not that great for me, but this power is pretty good for my pet, so I'll get the I'll get that for the pet. It adds a level of play to Torgas that's not normally there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I find that fascinating. I really want to see how it ends up working out. I haven't done it yet because uh, it just came out life today and I haven't gotten well, to play WoW yet today. So
1: Yeah, and, and, and same here. I haven't been able, I literally got home and, and popped on just for the, you know, just in time for, for this. But it's. It's one of those things where it's starting to add more of that roguelike elements that I'm looking for in this type of content. I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of my favorite genres of game is roguelike. Um, Something like this lets you craft a run that doesn't necessarily feel... It won't always feel the same if you do it twice. You might pick different powers. You customize it based off of what you're given. Um, if you don't like a power, you you know don't take it again, or you change, or you pivot directions. Um, and I, I like that. That's what I. That's the type of gameplay I like. And I like the idea of the companions of, of the pets sort of filling in that party role for again what is party content, um, which I think is really really cool, especially for me where my primary role is a healer. My DPS set isn't the best. I'm more optimized for healing. So this gives me uh, the ability to do this at 2 o'clock in the morning when I can't sleep uh, and not really feel too bad about it. So I'm kind of okay with it. I'm, I'm excited about it. And then you, I, I think the rewards they're offering are, at least some of them, are pretty cool.
0: Well, we'll see. Ultimately, Like, there's two more events coming. Uh, apparently, they're going to have other bonus events that will like swap in on a week-by-week basis. They've only listed three. And the way that they listed which weeks they'll be up leaves gaps. Like one is coming up on January twelfth, and then the next one is in February, and that means to me that there'll probably be some other ones that we, they haven't listed yet. But we'll see what happens with it. Right now, we know there's this one that we actually know what it is because we know what the pets are. Then the other two—one is like there will be ghosts, there will be you know hauling spirits will haunt the realms of Torgast—is like what does that mean? Yeah, you have no idea. <laughs> so we, we don't know the other two are going to be what they'll be about. One of them is like you know the shadowy dark invades Torgast, and it's like isn't Torgast already pretty dark? I. I one of my biggest problems with Torgas actually, is that many times, the, the, like if you take a certain one, uh, the, the the color's all the same all around. So everything's oh, kind yeah. of a vague blue or a vague gray, and it's like Ultima 7. It's like, ah, yes, another gray cave. Excellent. <laughs> um,
1: oh, that deep cut. <laughs>
0: yeah. But regardless, that they've, 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 that's going on, and I think that's pretty interesting. Torghast is, I think Torgas has the potential to be something that can last relatively long. I'm still of the opinion you should be able to get gear from it. Straight up, especially since they've made the, the point that they feel like you you should be mythic-geared for certain levels of it. If you want to focus all your effort on Torghast, you should be able to get mythic-geared through Torghast. Um, I don't feel like it's... I, I I know that some people think you should have to do multiple kinds of content to play WoW right now. Like, you should have to dun- do raids, you should have to do mythic dungeons, you should have to PvP. I feel like that sh- that's not a good idea.
1: That's, that's um. A topic that we could probably spend a lot of time on but gearing feels a little weird this expansion right now i don't think it's i don't think it's hit its perfect stride yet
0: like they it, wanted to make it harder they wanted to make it less you know like, like i said they want to make it so you'd have to run different kinds of content to get stuff and i'm totally okay with that but at the same time i feel like there should be a means by which if you choose to focus and excel at something yeah there should be a path of gearing to it well with torghast if you're pushing torghast if you're like Going up and running, like, the, the twisting corridors and doing, like, you know, up to level 12 and doing it fast and hitting it. I feel like there should be rewards for that. That's just I, my feeling.
1: I agree, and I think that there should be smart rewards, too. Like, one of the things, and, and not to get on too much of a tangent, but uh, this is something I I have a, a strong feeling of with, like, the vault. I think the vault's a really good idea. I think that it is something that the, it helps fix that loot luck, Except... When the vault keeps giving you the same two items over and over and over again, and if they're not good for you, it's wasted it's wasted things. Like I've been offered, since the vault has been around, the same helm every week. I don't need a helm. I have a better helm. I have a legendary helm. There should be something in the game that takes a look at it when it's rolling what loot you have. Uh, or what it's going to offer you to take in consideration what you already have or what's already been offered.
0: What is the thing it does? I've never actually not taken the drop, so I don't remember what the thing it does if you don't take any of the drops.
1: You get three of – I can't remember. I haven't taken – I have not taken – I think it's Stygia. Yeah, it's like three things of like 250 Stygia each or something like that. It's a lot of Stygia, but eh? So – Yeah. But it's it's – I think they need to fine-tune it, and I think they have some really good ideas – and I think they can fine tune that, and I think they need to look at tour and some other content, and like you said, apply loot to it, especially for something like twisted corridors, where we've already seen that they can add rewards. And I know that they don't want to do that there uh, with like gear, but honestly, I th- I think they need to reevaluate that.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe do like like they did with uh, battlegrounds where they came out with epic battlegrounds. Maybe have epic tour or something. Yeah, I something like that would be fine. I, I think I think they can
1: make it work if they they apply some thought to it. I have
0: I have faith that it'll balance out at some point. The other thing is uh, that we want to talk about is something that I actually have no ability to talk about because I have not been playing it because it gives me massive, painful, like motion sickness and and, and headaches. And that's Overwatch, which is unfortunate because I love Overwatch. I love the story of Overwatch. I love watching other people play it. I just get super motion sick playing it myself, um, um, and that's always made me sad. But nevertheless, the uh, Kenzeka Challenge is now out. Which uh, I don't think it actually has a new. It has a new skin, but I don't know how people feel about that skin. Um, but nevertheless, it's out. It's a new Overwatch thing. There's also some rumors that Overwatch is going to have a big announcement coming up by BlizzCon Live, uh, which is in February, by the way, guys. Uh, if you're if you're wondering like when we might hear a lot of new Blizzard information, uh, keep your eyes on the end of February because that's when the BlizzCon on Live BlizzCon line i can't say that blizzcon (laughs) online i can say i can't say blizzcon line it just my brain doesn't want to do it but that's going to be at the end of february so keep that in mind but yeah that's that's going on too but at this point we should probably move on to talking about some of these there questions and emails actually most of this was from discord this week guys uh y'all y'all mostly came in discord we got one email and everything else was pretty much discord channel so if you do have a question for the show and you want to email it to us, by all means please do. Uh, we still are at podcast at blizzardwatch.com, subject line podcast or Blizzardwatch so we know it's for the show and we absolutely love getting emails. So if you if you prefer to email, if you don't want to use discord, don't you, we don't want you to stop using the email it's by all means go ahead and do so. However, if you prefer Discord, And you seem to, uh, as we got a ton of stuff from Discord this week, Uh, please do go ahead and, you know, we have the uh, Patreon Q and podcast questions channel on our Discord, and we have the Q questions channel on our Discord, and we look at both of them. Uh, This week, we basically got these questions from the the Patreon channel because we, you know, seem to have a good amount of them, and we seem to be ready to go. But, yeah, every every week we check for those as well. So, uh, Joe usually reads them for us, and I'm assuming he's going to do so now, so if you don't mind, Joe.
1: I will gladly do so. Our first question comes from our good friend, six K who I see in chat. I see you, buddy Uh, question for the podcast. What first got you into blizzard games? What was that first experience that hooked you rock on you two cool dudes. I I don't know about cool, definitely cold. It's very chilly. Yeah. It's it's, I live in Canada. I live in Canada light. Um, what was your
0: first, you know, I actually don't know the answer to this question for you. What was your first blizzard game? Uh, Here's here's actually a funny story. Um, I was living in Washington D.C. at the time. Uh, I was going to grad school there. I went to American University. I didn't didn't finish due, due to what I would only describe as a raging case of alcoholism that that was destroying my life. But while that was all going on, I, I got a job working as a bouncer, and one of my friends was like, you know, do you do you, like, you know, I know you're you're working down near near Adams Morgan. Do, do you I know you don't you you live over on U Street. I have a friend who's going to be out of town for a month and needs a house sitter. And I'm going to be house sitting. So do you want to come over and hang out? And I was like, yeah, all right, sure, why not? And when I got there, they had that fancy there PlayStation cuz this was 1997. <laughs> and the PlayStation 1, the just at the time was just a PlayStation. Uh this was when the ad campaigns were "You are not," and it would just be a, a red E," and you were supposed to realize that meant you're not ready. Like it was it was that time of the, the the ad campaigns for these consoles were at their most surreal, and the Sony, Sony was coming out charging. they were the the scrappy underdog trying to defeat the, everybody's favorite console, the Dreamcast. Nobody thought they could do it because the Dreamcast was just so good. And it was, by the way, uh, that's not sarcasm on my part. The Dreamcast was a significantly better console. I still own one, yeah. and it's the Dreamcast is comparable to the second generation Xbox. Yeah, it's comparable to the Xbox 360 and in terms PS, of its
1: power and the PS two.
0: Yeah, PS three maybe. I would be willing to put the Dreamcast up against the yeah. PS three.
1: It was yeah, that's a whole other show.
0: <laughs> yeah, but regardless. We got there and there were a bunch of various games for the PlayStation and I was looking through them and some of them were the games I'd already I already heard of or like Silent Hill. One of them was a combination it was Diablo for the for the PS1, the PS they they had a Diablo disc. I didn't know that Diablo had been on a console at the time. I'd never even heard of it. I looked at this thing and I'm like this is like a like a Slayer album cover. What is this? My friend didn't know, he'd never played it. It actually wasn't a big video game. So I put it in Booted it up and then, like I think, twelve hours passed, and I was tired and and you know hadn't slept and had killed a lot of demons, and I realized this is dangerous. I should never be allowed to have this game ever because I'll never get anything done with my life. And also, I'm going to be spending a lot of time here because I'm not leaving until I have <laughs> beaten this. And that was it. So that was my first Blizzard game. Um, it was Diablo. I actually didn't play Warcraft. Uh, the the RTS I, I had not played it at the time I'd never even heard of it uh so for me Diablo was my introduction to Blizzard and the only other Blizzard game I played which I did play before Diablo but I didn't know it was a Blizzard game was the the Death and Return of Superman
1: yeah that was actually was- that was they were the uh developer but it was published by Sunsoft I remember yeah. that
0: yeah that was the game I played before Diablo but I didn't it didn't make any lasting impression no. I didn't think you know oh I want to play more games by these people whereas Diablo yeah, I've never forgotten Diablo. Like Even even as I've played other games more, I've never forgotten. And I, I've actually always been of the opinion that Diablo got unfairly eclipsed by Diablo 2. Yeah. And this is not me dogging on Diablo 2. Diablo 2 is the Beatles of action RPGs. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you like it or not. And I do, but it doesn't matter if you do. There's nothing you can do. That will change Diablo 2's position as a titan of action RPGs. Uh, It is just, it is ubiquitous. It is consuming. It is the thing, like there were action RPGs before Diablo. There were action RPGs before Diablo 2. But Diablo 2 is the giant rock someone threw into the pond that changed everything. Every game that's come out after Diablo 2 is a reaction to it. It's impossible not to be. You have games like Torchlight and Path of Exile, which are basically just trying to be Diablo 2.
1: Well, I mean, in the case of Torchlight, it was made by the people that made Diablo 2. But, I mean, that's yeah, a and, story. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, you know, but then, you know, just the point is they didn't go out and make an entirely new, different game. They basically no. made the same game again. Yeah. Because you're not going to, like, why vary from it? There's just, but because of that, because of the power of that, the original Diablo is often kind of overshadowed. And I think that's too bad, because in a lot of ways the original Diablo is just such a perfect little slice of gaming. It it does it doesn't do the the stuff that Diablo 2 does that broadens it out and kicks it out the door and makes it this, the the Beatles of, of action RPGs, but it does set everything up so it could. It's it's like when you see in volleyball somebody jumps up and spikes the ball down and like you know, they're like, Wow, he did really great. They, that person was set up. Someone lobbed the you know someone caught the, got the ball and, and got in a position for them, and you don't always remember that just like you don't always remember the guy that does like the goalie who makes a great save there's players who don't get the attention there's big flashy stuff, and there's the people who do all the work to set it up. Mm-hmm. Diablo did all the work to set it up, and sometimes we forget that and i'm my I will never forget playing that game on the p s and just being like, "I cannot believe this game exists, yeah. Um,
1: for me, the first game that I played from Blizzard was actually before they were Blizzard Entertainment. Uh, it was back when they were still Silicon and Synapse. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, that's when that's the brand that they released The Lost Vikings on. Um, it wasn't what really caught me, but it was the first Blizzard game that I played. I think I had it on the Sega Genesis, I want to say, because I, I couldn't find it for the Super Nintendo. Uh, and then after that I played Warcraft works in humans and Warcraft two tides of darkness, but I didn't own a computer at the time. This is 94, 95. Um, and I used to play at my best friend's house when I would go over on the weekends. So yes, I was that kid that even in high school, uh, I was going to my friend's house every weekend and like basically having giant sleepovers. Cause I was a nerd and that was what we did playing Warhammer and Warcraft because that's what you did. Uh, but I have fond memories around playing that game with him, but it wasn't what really sucked me in. My answer for what really sucked me into the world of, of Blizzard Entertainment as far as like their games is actually the same as Rossi. It's Diablo. The very first computer I ever owned, I had Diablo for it. And I got it secondhand from my cousin. He was moving from from Buffalo to Texas. Uh, he couldn't take all of his stuff with him. So he gave me all of his old computer games because we had just gotten a computer. uh, And he was like, hey, I can't take all the stuff with me. I would rather it go to you. And new in box was that copy of Diablo. And I remember like losing hours of time to that game and just like forgetting what time it was and being yelled at by my parents to go to F to bed uh, because it'd be three o'clock in the morning. I'd have to get up for school in three hours and I was still playing Diablo. Like, that game sucked me in. The cinematics for it were crazy for the time. Uh, the gameplay was phenomenal. The amount of customization of your character was great. Uh, it And because I was a kid that was huge into D&D and tabletop, it fit right in. It was heroes fighting against this tide of darkness and, and evil, malicious intent. And it basically hooked me at that point. And then I retroactively, you know re-got into Warcraft and Warcraft 2 because I had a computer that could run them and and play them of my own. So I did that, but, like, yeah, Diablo was the turning point. Diablo was that game that, like, just sucked me in. Um, I may have played Diablo 2 more uh, to the point where I actually, like, burned out CDs to the point where they were just unrecognizable, unreadable piles of, like, weird ash when they were done. Uh, And I think I've bought Diablo 2 probably more times than I have any other game because of that. But Diablo, without Diablo 1, I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't be so hard into any of the Blizzard games. Like, it just, it sucked me in. It was such a weird, like, vortex of perfect timing.
0: But yeah. But there's a reason that those games define the, the genre that they're in. Because like I said, there were action RPGs before. Um, there was a the Legend of Zelda action RPG on the Philips CD. Oh, God. There are two yeah. of them, actually. Two of them, yeah. And they were both unbelievably terrible. So I'll leave you to go. <laughs> I'm going to bob and- some batangos. Yeah, but they were action RPGs. That's what they were qualified as. Before Diablo, action RPG just meant like any game that had like any kind of vague RPG like elements, but was really more about just, you know, something else. Mm -hmm. And it's Diablo that really made it mean something in a a lot of ways, both for good and for ill. Uh, It's just, it's a Diablo 2 in particular is just a genre defining game. And it wouldn't have existed without Diablo, and I wouldn't have been playing without Diablo. So yeah, Diablo, that to me, wow. Just amazing game. But yeah, I guess that we prefer much answer that question, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's good. That's a pretty comprehensive answer for one line. Thanks, 6K. That was a, a nice trip down memory lane. Uh, our next question. Hello, I'm looking for a new secondary game to play and have been thinking about an RPG for PC. I know there are lots of them, but I'm specifically looking for one that doesn't have you control a party. I really don't wish to control other party members and would rather make it a solo adventure. I was wondering if you guys have any recommendations that would match what I'm looking for. And this is from Deathlord Zero from Earthen Ring. I think we we all know
0: what I'm going to say. So I'm (laughs) going to let Joe go first. No, go for it, because I have to think about this. Okay. Um, If you haven't already played them, the the three Assassin's Creed games that came out in the most recent generation, uh, Origins to Valhalla, are all that. They're all single-player RPGs. They're rpg light in the case of Origins. Whereas Odyssey and Valhalla are actual RPGs, but they're much like the Witcher games in that they are like a character that doesn't really – there's some customization, but there's like – in in Valhalla, you can actually change your face to a degree. You can like change what your hair looks like and so forth. Whereas in Odyssey and Origins, you don't even do that. They're much more like the Witcher in that you just – you look like you look. You can maybe pick a gender in I – mean, you can pick a gender in Odyssey. You pick between Cassandra and Alexios. Again, don't pick Alexios. Uh, but in in general, they are pretty much what you're looking for. There's a ton of them. Like I think Origins is the shortest at like a 50 hour runtime. Yeah. And about, Odyssey is the right. longest. Odyssey is the longest with a solid 70 to 80 hour runtime. Valhalla I think is slightly shorter than Odyssey, but not by much. Mm-hmm. Um, quite frankly, I think Odyssey Valhalla might actually be longer than Odyssey if you're a completionist and that's kind of hard to judge but there's there's Odyssey has it all on one big map whereas Valhalla has a lot of maps it's it's got each of its maps is smaller but there's more of them so to, you know you're you know tomato tomato and all that but regardless those are some options right there and I'll just I'll throw that out there uh I mentioned Immortals Phoenix Rising and that's a good one because you you just control you yeah. it's a very breath of the wildy experience if you liked breath of the wild uh you should definitely think about getting phoenix rising if you didn't play breath of the wild breath well, of the wild would also be a recommendation well it's basically. not on, it's
1: not on pc they, they specifically asked for yeah. pc
0: yeah so phoenix rising is on pc so it, it is there's, and there's more but um also i mean it's out i feel weird not recommending it although but i haven't played it and i'm not particularly interested in it but you i mean if you want to try cyberpunk 2077 you can
1: so I I was actually going to throw that out there. So it's gotten a lot of hate and I'm and for for good reason. Uh CD Project Red made a lot of missteps in their production of the game um and but I think now that I'm playing through it, I think it is actually worthy of your time especially if you're looking for an RPG. Um there's something stupid like 50 endings. Um I'm being a little facetious with that, but it's there's a lot of endings and there's a lot of choice. There's a lot of customization. It's not without its flaws. It's not without its problems, but it is definitely something that I'm 20 hours in and I've barely gotten past the, like the tutorial took me six hours because it's very RPG-ish. You get a lot of choices. You get dialogue choices. There's a lot of uh, customization, interpersonal stuff that goes on. And it's got three intros anyway. And it's got three intros to begin with on top of that. So like, I I actually really like the game. I think it's a fantastic RPG. And I, was I gonna
0: actually let me ask you a question here. Sure, go for it. I I was thinking about this while I was thinking about picking it up recently. And my idea is that if they had released it for just PC and maybe for PC and for the the the, the newest consoles like PS5 and Xbox Series X, I think that it would be it would not have had the the, the knock on that it had.
1: Yeah, and I, I I definitely agree. That that's a, that's definitely part of their own. F- that's a problem of their own making, right? Like, they oh yeah, have...
0: they they got greedy and they decided they were going to release it on every console. And well, not only that, the experience...
1: development took the development took so long that instead of being for being designed for the PS4 and the Xbox One, as soon as new generation consoles were available to develop for, they moved development to them, which made the difference. Yeah. PC is the only one that basically got what it said on the
0: tin, and it's. But yeah, sorry, the the root of the question. But basically do you think that it, it just just as a PC game where would you put it not not can, not it's not as you take out a lot of the really weird graphical misperformance that comes from trying to run it on an old like a console from 2016 how is it as a PC game on your PC
1: Fantastic like it runs phenomenally on my PC and I don't have a beast of a gaming rig like yes I got a new computer not too long ago but I'm only running a GTX 2060 cuz that's all I could find and it runs flawlessly on it as far as, like, frame rates and stuff. I don't have chugging. Uh, the Lighting is absolutely gorgeous. It really is a beautiful game when you're playing through it, and it's one of those weird things where, like, I expected Cyberpunk when they said Night City. The game setting is traditionally very dark. It's very runners-in-the-shadow type thing. It's very undercover of darkness, but it's super atmospheric, and it has a lot of cool daylight stuff. Um, and here's going to be a weird thing that I noticed. So, in the PC version, at least, like you can interact with a bunch of NPCs as you move around. One of the things I noticed is that there's street performers randomly that you can find, uh, and there was this one guy who is like an, an older black gentleman who's sitting on a couch with a guitar and an amp in an alleyway, and he's playing the guitar, and he's playing... I can't remember. it. It's a song from The Witcher 3. It's like Beast of something. Oh, I can't remember. But he's playing it, and I'm a guitar player. I've been playing for th- over 30 years, and I'm watching the hand motions. They spent enough time to get the right finger placement for the chords and picking like there's an incredible amount of detail in this game there's an incredible amount of stuff happening it feels very very vibrant and very and very alive when it's working properly um i think that if they had just released it on pc it would probably be heralded as one of the top games of the i think that it's just marred by everything that happened with it now if you that's not your thing um, Ironcloud45 in chat suggested something that I was also going to suggest, which is Kingdoms of Amalur has a remaster out that is an absolutely fantastic single player game. Uh, it's oh, actually, yeah. It, it's one that I'm surprised that Rossi didn't, you know, jump at the, the opportunity to suggest. Dude, I had to mention Odyssey.
0: I had to make a choice. I loved, you know, I loved Amalur. But if it comes down to Amalur or Odyssey, I'm going to go with Odyssey every single time.
1: But there's a lot of really good options out there for single player games. And it's, I think you're going to be spoiled for choice, but those are going to be the two that I, otherwise I'd be here all day.
0: Yeah, I I do want to say that Blizzard has actually got a single player RPG out right now that you can play. It just happens to be Diablo 3. Yeah, if for some reason you have not already played Diablo three, I'm going to put it out there that Diablo three is a very good game. Yes, and you can play it. You can play it like on multiple consoles, but you can play this on PC and it will. You you can just play it. It's just really good. Um, it you might have feelings about the whole Diablo two Diablo three argument. I think they're both good games, and you don't need to pick one of them. You can play them both. But yeah, Diablo four will be out in a couple years. I'm gonna say now is a good time to play Diablo three if you haven't already. If you already have, then don't worry about it. But honestly, the amount of development work they have done over the years for this game, to to, to to balance it out, to get it working smoothly, to get classes balanced as well as they can, and to just let you have sheer raw, exciting fun smashing up a bunch of demons as their, you know, viscera rain down on you from the sky, you know, and bring with it like piles of treasure to just hoover up. It, it's it's a really nice feedback loop. It feels good.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think Diablo 3 is, is a game well worth your time to play if you haven't played through it. Even You're if looking
0: you, for a single-player experience where you don't have to control a bunch of different people.
1: Yeah, and even if you just want to go through the campaign, it's worth doing. But I think that does it for that, unless you have any
0: other ones you want to throw out there. I mean, I probably could. The problem is a lot of them do require you to control a party. Like, for instance, Mass Effect. They're getting a Mass Effect remasters coming out but you do kind of have to control a party in Mass Effect, yeah. unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I was like um, some of the other ones I could suggest, like the South Park games are actually really, really good. Stick of Truth and uh, Fractured Butthole, like they're really good, but you control a party. So,
0: and also I will never give Parker those could be better. What? But so, uh, yeah, there, there's just yeah, I'm gonna stop because I I we really could be here all day. It, it is. It is one of those things where there's a lot of them. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the Amalur remaster, if you never played Kingdom of Amalur, it's absolutely worth picking up that remaster. Agreed. It totally is.
1: Agreed. Well worth your time and money. Um, our next question comes from Sacrimal. I hope, I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's how I'm pronouncing. A conversation started for the podcast. There are no rats, no roaches, and nowhere to fish in Oribos. Oribos is not a city. Even Dalaran and the Exodar have the fishing. Also, apparently, we won't have time to sleep when we're dead because there are no beds anywhere. What about Boralis, Suramar, Dalaran, Stormwind, and orgamar that make them feel lived in? Or what is it about that? How would you design-populate a city in the afterlife of WoW to make it actually feel like a city?
0: Well, I mean, honestly, I think that that's actually a really good choice in their part to make Orbus not feel like a city.
1: Because it's not where people
0: go to rest. It's, yeah, it's not a city. It's not intended to be... A hub, like the fact that there's a bunch of living people running around the place and making the uh the the, the the various entities there uncomfortable, is part of the interesting experience of this expansion. You are not where you belong, and the place is not equipped for you. It doesn't have beds because nobody sleeps; they're all dead. You don't sleep when you're dead. Um, it doesn't have you know a lot of the amenities that are exist there exist there because the brokers have brought them there, and they've brought them there to profit off of you. It's it's really an interesting choice, but if you want a place that feels more like an actual like ecosystem, you got four zones. Yeah, and those zones definitely. Uh, Bastion has like a couple places that feel like cities. Um, Ardenweald definitely like the heart of the forest oh, kind of yeah. feels like city ish. Um, Maldraxxus has a couple places like that. Well,
1: Maldraxxus uh, doesn't have beds either. I noticed like,
0: no, but it, that's because, you know, you, you're, you're, you're sharing a bunk with like six other guys and you're probably just, you know, fighting to your drop anyway. Yeah. But it does still kind of have like a, an ecosystem of swords. It's kind of, you know, there's monstrous things everywhere and it just feels like, it does feel like, I don't want to say it feels alive. None of them feel alive,
1: They're not intended but it to.
0: feels, yeah, but it feels like a inhabited place.
1: Yeah, and, and I think it was a deliberate choice to make Oribos feel that a- alien and foreign as far as that goes, because Oribos is just a hub. That's all it was ever meant to be. The fact that brokers are, are bringing their carts there is an oddity. The attendance of the... Uh, Arbiter even say as much when you get there. They they tell you like, yeah, the brokers just started showing up and squatting here. You know, it was never intended for this to be a living place, right? Um, everything about that place is is transitory. It's supposed to be, um, and I think that was a good deliberate choice on their part. Uh, the thing that fe- that makes the other cities, I think, of the regular Azeroth, not uh, the Shadowlands covenants, feel. Alive is that they feel lived in. They have dirt. They have debris. They have insects. And th- originally, like that was one of the things that I thought was really cool about Iron Forge back in the day. And I actually thought Iron Forge was the best city that they had ever designed. Uh, it was a giant circle. True. But you had different levels to it. It felt like there were actually places to go. It had uh, what looked like or felt like lived-in spaces and homes that dotted not just the auction house and the bank. Uh, and it felt like it was actually a seat of a dwarven empire because it felt like a massive city. It felt like, not to scale, but it just it had that lived-in feel, the sounds, the, the way that things looked, the atmosphere of it. It all melded together to make it feel alive, and especially and when you like,
0: look at Undercity as a comparison to this. Yeah, Undercity is also a big round thing, but it was always very painful to navigate. But Undercity definitely had that kind of the opposite of a living city feeling. It, it was like this is a dead city. It was a squatter's place. That's yeah. what it felt it was, like. Yeah, you know, we're here because we got no place to go. Uh, the things that are here are here because they are survivors that nothing can kill. Hence the cockroach vendor. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if people fished in the canals very much in that like moat type thing in, in Undercity very much. To be honest with you, I don't fish, so I can't give you that one. But Undercity definitely felt like the thing that it was, as much as anything could feel that way. Yeah, a, a city completely inhabited by the dead. And, and they've actually done a really good job over the years with with cities. I think we talk a lot about Surmar, but Honestly, Thunder Totem doesn't get nearly as much, you know, like High Mountain.
1: The whole, Everything about the High Mountain area, like the High Mountain, that entire zone feels like a giant city, if that makes sense. Because like everywhere you go that there's yeah. a settlement, yeah. the whole land feels lived in. It is probably the most torn place I have ever visited in-game. Because it feels very much like the entire zone feeds off of what makes them, what defines them as a, as a, a race.
0: I think it does actually a really good job of say, of being a counterpoint because um, Thunder Bluff is this is our new city that we just built.
1: Yeah, it's sparse. And it doesn't to- have a lot.
0: And the one in High Mountain, High Mountain is the zone feels like we have lived here for countless millennia. This is where we have been. This is a place that has been lived in by us, shaped by us, affected by us. And it really is fascinating. And, and it's a nice counterpoint to uh, Thunder Bluff. And it's a nice counterpoint to other cities. They've done, like, really some good, really good cities over the years. I think both, both, um, Baralis and, uh, Zoldazar Az- Az- in there felt different, very different, but they both felt like, good representative cities of their relis, re- well, retrospective peoples. So,
1: so, and here's a weird thing that I'm going to say, and, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but Baralis and Zoldazar felt like hub city. They felt a, like what the original Orgrimmar and what the original Ironforge felt. They were places that did have spots that people could live, but that wasn't really the main goal. It felt like that's the place where you went to go to market. That's the place where you went to worship. That's the place where you went to, uh, go to the Harbor to catch a ride somewhere else. And that lends itself its own feeling of being alive in sort of that regard as well. Um, they felt big, they felt sprawling because of that. Uh, and I thought that was really, really nifty because when you look at a city like Stormwind, Stormwind is actually as big as it is feels very compact. It feels very built on top of each other, which is traditional for, you know, medieval human settlements. When you get to the whole castle keep and and, you know, how buildings build so close to those walls and, and things like that. But it captures that feeling of, yeah, people don't live here, they live in the villages or they live, you know, down by the river so they can fish or down by the lake so they can fish or whatever the case is. Uh, they live by the forest so they can be loggers and take care of that or, or whatever number of, of trades. And then they bring it to the city and then they bring that to the city to trade, to be a hub. Uh, and yeah, there's places you can crash out. There's inns and things like that, but they felt very different. They didn't feel lived in. They felt like lived in is the wrong word. I'm trying to think of how I want to phrase it. They felt well used and, and, and it, it was his own sort of distinct feeling. I, I agree with you. I think that they've made some really cool cities over the years, and I think each of them feel and fill different roles. And I think that's really neat. And this is me sort of like the architecture nerd, because there's a very distinct flow to these places. There's a very distinct behavior intent behind the design of them. And that's true to life. When you go to a city, when you go to even just like a big building... In our in like in real life in meat space here, it has an intent behind it, and it's shaped for that intent and you subconsciously pick up on that. We do that with these cities in the game they did a fantastic job with all of them as far as you know directing players to what their intended purpose should be so that's my two cents on it. I think that i I don't know that I would populate or design a city any differently than they've already done. I would look at what my intended purpose would be for that particular place. And then I would design around that purpose, which it feels like that's what they've been doing. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I agree. No, I, I don't think I disagree with that. <laughs>
1: uh, that's all I got on that one. I think we have time for, I uh, think one more, possibly two.
0: Well, we'll see what happens.
1: Uh, this one comes from MA and this is question for the pods. Uh, and there are two here. So I'll go through them and then we can figure it out. First question. Is there a machinery of life? Uh, and two, what kind of weapon would your main be presented with in Anduin's place? What would you name it? Uh, so
0: I guess we'll start with the first one. Is there a machinery of life? Do we think there is? I mean, I, I think machinery of death is a metaphor. I don't think it's literally. A, uh, I think, however, that if, if the afterlife was designed by the first ones, I think we have to at least entertain the possibility that so was life, that when, when the light and the void became mutually antagonistic and the universe was created, the first ones were probably the ones shaping it. Like we have, we have that ordering of the cosmos story, it was probably the first ones doing that. Um, but but we don't know. We'll find out. I feel like I feel like there's a good chance of it though. The very fact that there's like the Emerald Dream as kind of like the opposite of Ardenweald implies to me that there is an as above so below kind of setup where you've got the Shadowlands laying underneath reality, and then you've got some kind of life realm lying above it in the same same like mirror fashion. That's my that's my guess on that.
1: Yeah, and I, I tend to agree. I think that I think that it is more metaphorical than it is actual, legitimate or real. Um, we talked a little bit about it on this week's lore watch, with which, if you haven't listened to it, might be worth going to listen to. Um, but I, I I don't think any of it is referring to anything in particularly literally or literal sense. Um, but there could be something to that thought process. We still don't really understand how the Warcraft universe came to be we know kind of like allegorically the light was everything and then it decided not to be and therefore everything was born. I think there's more to it than that. And I think that maybe it's not necessarily the machinery of life, but maybe sort of like the mechanism that brought life to be. So we'll probably find out more about that as we go along. I I don't know what else to say besides that. I think... I think metaphorically speaking is probably the most accurate thing we can. Um, as far as the weapon that you would be presented in Anduin space, do you, I mean, what would you, what weapon would you be offered and what would you name it and why is it Ashkandi?
0: I mean, it's Ashkandi. I I don't know what we're, <laughs> what we're doing here. If it's Ashkondi. It would be Ashkondi. I would call it Ashkandi. That's where, what, what are you looking for? I mean, I am who I am. <laughs> It's like, you know, like Oh you know, no, it's it's totally Valinir. No, it's not Valinir, it's Ash It's always gonna be Ash I'm the guy who was disappointed Ash wasn't a warrior artifact. Uh No, it's Ashkandi, and it would still be called Ashkandi, and nothing the Jailer could do could hurt Ashkandi or make it any different than it is, so it wouldn't change or become evil, it would just still be Ashkandi, and I would stab him with it, because it's Ashkandi, and it's the super weapon. and there's no point (laughs) in discussing this, and you go ahead and talk about some lesser weapon now.
1: Uh, I'll talk about what I think is the greater non- uh warrior weapon uh i think valinir would be what was offered to me it's the one weapon that i always felt the distinct connection to because of being a healer uh it was one of those things where it was such a big momentous occasion putting it together but it's also one that like in story wise in the headcanon for my character i believe that my character would be wielding it to this day It would not be something that he would just shove into a bank and worry about later. He would be wielding it. And if he was in Anduin's position, that's what would be offered to him, this instrument of life and protection that he wielded against dark gods, uh, that he's wielded against uh, the Legion itself, against everything that wants to violate the sanctity of life, because I think it would be interesting to see that being perverted by the Jailer and his mechanisms into whatever it would be because then at that point it's like here's the symbol of of hope and peace and protection that i that has been such an integral part of my character and now it's being turned into something i don't know can i still wield it can i still can i still use it for its intended purpose and because of the core of how i i view my character as far as like stories go it would be a hard thing because that's what loader does he's a protector a healer he doesn't like war he doesn't like destruction uh his primary focus is always making things whole again so yeah it would be valineer for me 100 110 percent uh i don't know i think we have time for one more what do you think Sure, give it a shot. Okay. Uh, this one comes from Adele. Thinking about villains, it's established that Gul'dan obviously is the stereotypical comic book villain type, but I get a slightly different vibe from Denathrius, and now I realize what it is. He is the classical James Bond bad guy. The story composition of Revendreth follows along these lines. He's so obviously evil in the way he is presented to us, and how his true intentions get revealed have such movie-like rhythm. But how about the Jailer? Is he like Thanos in the Marvel franchise? This is maybe, uh... A cute question, but I, I'm willing to bet we get Anduin Wren as a raid count. What kind of boss will that be? Are we fighting Jailer's weaponized Anduin? Or are we healing and freeing him, or what? Uh, I don't think the Jailer's Thanos quite yet. Uh, I don't think he's quite as neutral. <laughs> Thanos, for all of his his bluster, was, was neutral. He thought he was doing the right thing.
0: Uh, and if we're talking MCU Thanos, yeah. yeah. If yeah. we're talking comic Thanos, the Jailer would need to work pretty hard to be as extra as comic Thanos. Yeah, comic, the jailer is the the is ahead of Thanos in that he was actually he actually is like involved in death in some fashion. Comics Thanos just wanted to sleep with death really really badly and thought if he killed everybody in the universe or half everybody in the universe, then de- then Senpai Death would finally notice him. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for him, Death was busy dating Deadpool, uh, which is a complicated story that I'm not going to get into because you would have had to be reading comics over the past forty years to, to understand it, but. Yeah, um, honestly, the Jailer reminds me a little bit of, of the, the classic Xanatos Gambit villain. The one that, you know, they're a big part of WoW. WoW loves these kind of villains where it's like, you know, no matter what you do, it's always just, you know, it's not even really a setback. Their plans continue apace. You haven't defeated me, blah, blah types. When done well, Xanatos type villains are great because they actually make you do the work for them. Uh, and that it, it's when it's done well a xanatos style villain you know they put in like a, they, they put in a plan hoping you'll stop it because in the process of stopping it you'll make something else they need to have happen happen um, Lex Luthor's a good example of this kind of villain where you know he's counting on Superman defeating his giant robot because whilst doing so he'll get good scans of Superman to, to create a clone of him with that sort of thing uh, dr doom's another good example Do- actually it should have been called the doom they, they called it the Xanatos gambit but they should have been called the doom doom gambit yep doom is so about that doom dr doom, doom is like the one of the very few comic book villains who has successfully conquered the world on at least 3 occasions and he didn't lose like thanos did because thanos when he when thanos achieved his goals thanos lost because secretly subconsciously thanos doesn't think he's worthy of his own goals so he always sabotages himself. Doom didn't sabotage himself. Doom conquered the Earth and had everyone in the world obeying him, and he got defeated because he was bored and decided, I'm just going to not stop them from stopping me and see what happens. That's the kind of guy Doom is. Doom is actually, the reason Doom has never just defeated the Fantastic Four is because if he just wanted to kill them, he would have already done it. Yeah, a couple times over. Yeah. He, just wants, he wants to break Richards, not kill him. Killing him is easy. Making him admit I'm smarter than him, that's the hard part. That's what I really want, because Doom is obsessed. But And I think the Jailer, we don't know enough about him yet, but we're starting to get a picture of his personality. I think he's somewhere along that Xanatos-Doom axis, where he's got things he wants, and he believes in his plans, but at the same time, like when we defeat his plan, it, it doesn't really actually cost him anything, because he didn't care about that. He cared about this thing. So we'll see where that goes. That's my take on it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. I don't think he's, I don't think he's quite at the the doom level, but I, I, he's definitely a better villain than I think we've had in a while. Although, I guess that's, I shouldn't even say that.
0: Honestly, I here's my thing. I loved Deathwing as a villain, but I feel like they didn't, they didn't use all of Deathwing. Yeah, there's a whole aspect of Deathwing that they just really didn't deal with. They just used Deathwing most of the time as a kaiju and didn't do enough of the, the skilled the manipulator. Yeah. Yeah. That's the schemer, the manipulator that death wing. We didn't really get. That's one of the reasons why I almost wish they could undo his death. Like I almost wish at the end of this expansion, like all the, 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 uh, wow villains who died, come back. They are all free and running around. There's two Guldons. They're a team. Now they're the guldani <laughs>
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as the second part of that question though, and just, I want to make sure we cover it before we call it a, a day here. Um, Anduin Rin as a rain encounter probably will happen. If, even if it's, if we're not fighting him, we'll be fighting somewhere or somehow to... F- it's inevitable. I don't think we're going to free him like we did Thrall or Jaina or Bane. Uh, I don't think it's going to be that easy, especially because they've been playing up the fact that the Jailer now has what he wanted, what he's been looking for, and it just so happens to be Anduin Wrynn. Uh, I think that it's going to be a long, drawn-out process. I don't know what the encounter is going to look like, but I don't. The, the only thing that I feel it won't be is I don't think it's going to be a Death Knight Anduin. And I've heard a lot of people say that. I think it's going to be mechanically more diverse than that. And if anything, it'll be closer to Shadow Priest or Shadow Avatar Anduin because that's something that they've been building up to subtly over the last several years. Where you see him more readily reaching for that sort of dark power than you do, you know, anything else. Like I don't I think he would turn to that before he would accept the jailer's weapon.
0: No, here's what it's gonna be. You guys see the end of of Avatar the Last Airbender? Yeah. Remember when Fire Lord Ozai has like got his hands and his his hands pulled back behind him and he's shirtless? Uh, it's gonna be shirtless Anduin, hands pulled back <laughs> behind him, and the the sword that they were trying to give him is gonna be floating around, and we're gonna have to fight the sword before it can corrupt him. The sword's literally gonna be like doing the the ang thing where it's grabbing his. But face. we already
1: we literally already have that though with uh, Sire Denathrius. That is literally the fight. I know. Shirt sure, shirt sure, shirtless shirtless bad guy with a uh, very singy giggly evil sword. This one's not going to
0: be singing gigly. It's going to be. It's going to be much more like you know serious. And then in the the last thing is going to be the jailer and his magic sword. It's just going to be that. This entire expansion is going to every raid is going to end with the sword. <laughs> I'm not being serious. This was entirely a joke. Guys.
1: Yeah, but somebody's going to take it out of context, and that's going to make it hilarious. Yep. <laughs> but I think that. And then
0: Ashkandi comes in at the end and saves the day. And the expansion's true hero is Ashkandi. <laughs> by itself it doesn't have anyone holding it it's just by itself
1: (sighs) I want Ashkandi to show up in Torghast now
0: (laughs) actually it turns out that Torghast is Ashkandi
1: Uh, you know what we're literally just if you look at it it looks like the hilt No, it doesn't. All right. Well, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast sighting community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue and an ads free site
0: experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Again, guys, if you have a question for the podcast, you can send it to us via email at podcast at blizzardwatch.com with the Land Podcast of Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Or you can use our Discord server. Um, we have two channels. Uh, there's the Patreon Q&Podcast questions channel and the q questions channel, both of which we look in, so you can, you can hit those up as well. Um, thank you guys so much for being here with us. This has been the Ashkandi Watch Podcast, and we'll be back next week. Ashkandi.